Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, suffering just a little bit with some seasonal allergies, no big deal, certainly not COVID-related here in New York City, where I am coming to you today, maybe not in the best voice, but in the best mood, as it was announced this week that the World Series of Poker will not be requiring its participants to wear masks while seated at the poker tables. Now, this is the best news I've heard in a long time. It's causing me to rethink a lot of things about my life, particularly as it pertains to my planned fall schedule, which mostly included events at the Wynn and Venetian. But it seems to me like a strong case could be made for hanging out a lot more at the Rio and breathing normally through my actual nostrils. Now, there is a mask mandate in place in the state of Nevada, but the exception to that mask mandate is if you are having an event in which all of the participants are fully vaccinated. And so this is one of the reasons behind the WSOP's controversial decision to require vaccination for all participants this year. They knew about this exception and wanted to try to exploit it. Given that the WSOP takes place in the convention center area, away from the rest of the casino, they are uniquely able to keep this thing contained in that space. And then they can call it a vaccine zone. So at the win, the poker area is kind of right in the middle of the casino. They wouldn't be able to get away with using this loophole, which puts at risk my <laughs> likelihood of playing in any type of mystery bounty event this fall. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I would rather sit at the win and play the mystery bounty with a mask on than not have the head-to-toe elation that I'm planning to feel from playing in such a brilliant event. I love this. The WSOP had this great idea, then they scrapped it, and then Wynn just took the ball and ran with it. But I think that the boys at the Rio may end up having the last laugh, at least if you're looking, just comparing the Rio with the Win. Now, in years past, the Venetian held their series in a completely separate area, and so they might have the opportunity to say, this separate area is a vaccinated zone, so this is a, uh, a mask-free area or a mask-optional area, I guess you could say. So the mandate is if you're indoors, you have to wear a mask unless you're indoors with a bunch of people who are also vaccinated. Now, what's interesting and what many have pointed out already on Twitter is that the dealers for the WSOP are not being required to show proof of vaccination. This is only the player's and vendors and other participants like that. But the dealers are simply being strongly encouraged 
to get vaccinated. Now, I'm sick of COVID, as I think we all are. And again, I never want to get into politics on this podcast. But I do feel like this is good news for the WSOP and for people like me who are not immunocompromised and don't feel like they should have to wear a mask at the table after having been fully vaccinated. So I'm excited for that. Another thing that has me very excited is that I was recently hired to do some commentary for the World Series of Poker. So, uh, by the way, shout out and big congratulations to my friend Jamie Kerstetter, who again will be working with Lon McCarran and Norman Chad as a, a dynamic trio now, I guess. So I'm really happy for her. But I got my own good commentary news this week where I will be doing some color for at least a few of the side events. Uh, anyone who knows me knows that that actually is my dream job and I enjoy doing it so much. So I'm really happy to get out there. Of course, by then my allergies will be all cleared up <laughs> and I'm allergic to tree pollen and there aren't that many trees in Nevada anyway. So I think we'll be just fine. Other than that, I'm excited for the start of football season. I love all sports, especially baseball. But yeah, I'm definitely an NFL guy. And I'm looking forward to this Sunday. I'm actually going to the Giants game. So I'm excited. I'm going to go see the New Jersey, I mean, New York football Giants this Sunday afternoon. And that, that'll be a real treat. I got offered a free ticket by my friend who actually has a luxury box there. So I'm very excited to see how the other half lives this Sunday, September 12th in sunny, bucolic East Rutherford, New Jersey. All right, so let's get to poker. I did play some online this week, had a good time playing on America's Card Room, ACR. Uh, the whole reason I got into Bitcoin was because when I wanted to cash out after some kind of score on ACR, I was told that the easiest thing to do is just do it in Bitcoin. So that was when Bitcoin was at something like 7,000. So I'm very happy that <laughs> that all happened. And now through no skill, wisdom, or intelligence of my own, I've seen that quote-unquote investment septuple in about 18 months. So uh, you know, thank God for that. And so, of course, I love ACR <laughs> because that's why I have Bitcoin anyway. But yeah, uh, I did play in a couple of tournaments this week, and I wanted to go over a couple of hands that I found interesting from the $15,000 guaranteed Boski special on ACR. It's a it's an $11 buy-in, well, a $10 buy-in with a $1 entry fee. And I don't know who Boski is. I don't know whether or not I'm mispronouncing his or her name, but I assume that Boski is somebody's name and that this special is a shout out to this person, Boski. So anyway, they have this tournament, I believe, every day. It's uh, a pretty good value in terms of bang for your buck, low rake, high guarantee, and lots of recreational, fun, amateur, whatever you want to call players who don't study on tournamentpokeredge.com three to four hours a week, every single week, like their life depends on it, as so many of you do. And by the way, if you have yet to join tournamentpokeredge.com, I recommend you do so. 
using the promo code PODCAST in all caps, because if you do, you will save $10 off your first month when you subscribe. Now, we have literally thousands of hours of videos from amazing coaches like Colin Moshman, Andrew Brokus, Jared Smith, Alex Fitzgerald, and so many more. Some of the best minds in the game, and we don't charge a fortune. I mean, it's 25 bucks a month if you sign up for a year, and you actually get $10 off your first month with the promo code PODCAST. Do it. Do it now. Get yourself ready for the World Series of Poker and whatever else you're planning to do poker-wise. I guarantee you'll be glad you did. So this is the Boski or Boski special. Uh, they got 1,585 players. It's amazing. You got to give ACR credit. They are very ambitious with their guarantees. They could easily call this a $12,000 guarantee or even a $10,000 guarantee and probably get plenty of players to say, wow, for 11 bucks, I can play in a tournament that is guaranteed to have a lot of entries, whatever. They really like to push the envelope. And very often on ACR, I've noticed some of their tournaments don't even hit the guarantee, which they don't seem to mind. It's kind of, you know, good for the game, whatever. I mean, if you can ever buy into a tournament that has an overlay, it's a good value to do that, even if that tournament's slightly outside of your normal price point. If, you know, if, like in other words, if you normally play like $20 or $30 tournaments and you see that a $50 tournament has like a seven or $800 overlay towards the end of registration, that might be a spot to gamble because there's going to be some free money in that prize pool. And so that's something we as poker players hardly ever get in this age of extreme greed and very high rake in so many popular events. It's nice if you can find some overlay and get a little bit back. But this one did not have an overlay, but they barely met the guarantee, which, uh, you know, good for them. Having the right number there, 15K, just about right on the money. Uh, at the 55, oh, so in this tournament, you start with 5,000 in chips and blinds are something like 2040. So it's uh, a pretty good structure to start off, but not, you know, it's not like 20 minute levels or something. I think it's 10 or maybe 12 minute levels that go up rather slowly compared with other online sites. The structures on ACR, I often laugh at how meticulous they are in trying to make sure the structure never moves up uh, too much at all at once. So yeah, I mean, I guess if you're going to err, err on the side of meticulous. So this hand will be no exception. We're at the 55 and 110 level with a 13 ante per player because why not, right? So uh, we have 6,100 above the 5,300 average and up from our 5K starting stack as well. And we are at a pretty good table. A lot of our opponents either seem to be way too wild and loose, aggressive, kind of crazy, uh, either because that's how they play or because registration is still open and they might see this as a tournament with unlimited rebuys or something like that, which again, I, I know you've probably heard me say this before, but just in case you haven't, when they are raking each and every entry, you should not play the same as you would in an old school traditional rebuy and add-on tournament where they would only rake the first buy-in. This is a big difference. I mean, you end up just 
spewing a lot of money and giving away too many entries by playing so wild in the first place. And now you're also getting raked and re-raked on top of that. So uh, that is not the recommended strategy really in any tournament, but especially when it's not a traditional rebuy situation and is the much more common, at least nowadays, more common re-entry format. So that's the difference between a re-entry and a rebuy. In a traditional rebuy tournament, you keep your same seat and somebody comes over and just gives you chips for cash and that cash goes directly into the prize pool. You hardly ever see this anymore because casinos are making money. And this tournament, the Boski Special on ACR, has unlimited re-entries, which again are raked for the first, I don't know, four hours or so. So it's early on, and I think that some players get in there with the wrong attitude and just gamble it up, feeling like they have nothing to lose. What the heck? It's 10 bucks. What's the difference? But, you know, if you do that every day, over time, you're going to lose a lot of money that way, especially when you're paying 10% juice for the privilege. So here we are, 55-110 with 13 ante. It's a eight-handed table, and the under-the-gun player raises to 242. <laughs> so what is that? 2.3 or something. Uh, 2.3x the big blind. Uh, so he's under the gun. And now this player has been very loose. Uh, he's made a lot of mistakes. He, he just seems like he's trying to play big pots, even though the blinds are relatively low and there's absolutely no reason for him to do so. But this is what he's been doing, just playing a lot of big pots with marginal hands or bad hands even, and it's cost him. He's already down to 2,600 chips from his 5K starting stack. So his under-the-gun raise does not mean as much as another player's under-the-gun raise might, okay? So uh, the small blind, it folds all the way around to the small blind, who is a Brazilian player who it has been mostly too loose and a bit active, but he's doing well, and he's up to 6,200. Again, we have 6,100, and then we are in the big blind holding the eight of hearts, tray of hearts. So eight tray suited, a uh, pretty good blackjack hand, but, but I couldn't resist the pot odds, especially against two loose players if I happen to flop some kind of miracle with this thing. I feel like I have a lot of implied odds there and we're pretty deep, especially the Brazilian player and I are pretty deep. But even against the original Razor, the under the gun player, uh, you know, he's got half a starting stack, but he still has 24 big blinds in his stack. So it's plenty for me to try to play for between the two of them. And I just call getting such a good price. Now let's be clear, guys. If you want to fold here, that's totally fine. I don't mind if you want to just pitch your hand away. It's eight tray. I'm not going to berate you for throwing that hand away, even getting compelling pot odds. But I think suited, it's okay to call. It's also okay if you want to put this hand into your three-bet bluffing range, but I don't recommend having a three-bet bluffing range versus very loose opponents like the two that we have in this particular hand. But generally speaking... If you wanted to try to come up with a balanced big blind three betting range, you don't want it to just be value. You want to make sure you have some bluffs in there and you want to put suited garbage like this in it. I, I really don't have a problem with that, guys, but I just wouldn't do it against these two particular opponents. 
because they are both pretty darn loose. So it's not going to work enough to be profitable. So with all that said, I decided to call. I couldn't resist. And so the three of us see a flop. Hero holding the eight of hearts, tray of hearts, with 830 in the pot and the under the gun razor having about 2,500 behind. We see a flop of ace of diamonds, jack of spades, tray of spades. So ace, jack, tray with two spades, hero holding the eight tray of hearts. The small blind checks and the action is on hero. You do want to have a leading range on this board. You don't want to always check to the razor. Uh, The fact is this flop is so much better for his range than it is for mine that this is not a good flop for you to include in the flops that you might want to lead on. So uh, he's just going to have a lot more two high cards, a lot more pair of aces here. I don't think that leading or really bluffing this type of player at all is recommended, but sort of theoretically, it is good to sometimes lead out on wet boards with two opponents, just not these two (laughs) opponents. So I check, and the original Razor bets 260 into the 830 pot. Uh, He's got about another 2,300 behind. The small blind, the Brazilian player, calls, and now... Again, I'm getting irresistible odds. I have bottom pair and not much else. Actually, literally nothing else. Uh, But I'm getting five to one and it's not enough for me to go away yet. If you would have bet even a little bit more, I think I can make a case for throwing my hand away. But getting five to one with bottom pair against these two guys, I just couldn't help myself. I had to call again. So now the pot is around 1,600. And the original Razor has 2,300 behind, as mentioned. The turn comes the Six of Diamonds. So our board is now double suited. It's Ace, Jack, Trey, Six with two diamonds and two spades. The small blind checks. I see no reason to bet this card either. I'm not going to try to bluff these guys. And I can't really justify trying to value bet bottom pair here. So I just check again and... The original Razor, the the under-the-gun player, also checks. So now the river is the eight of clubs for a final board of ace, jack, tray, six, eight, and two missed flushes. So the small blind checks, and now the action's on me with two pair. And what would you do? How much would you bet? I assume most of our listeners are going to want to put out a value bet here. Having luck boxed our way into two pair, which is probably good, like a lot of the time, right? So the Brazilian player has about 5,600 in his stack. We've got about 5,500 in ours. And the original Razor has about 2,300 in his stack. So those are the stacks right now. And the pot contains about 1,600 tournament units. So how much do we want to bet to try to get some value for our hand. I decided to go all in. So I'm happy to fade the possibility that the Brazilian guy has done nothing but call once before the flop and all he's done since has has been to check. I'm willing to bet that he can't beat two pair. Uh, Also, so many draws have missed here. I think that I might be able to get somebody to look me up. It, It looks like maybe I missed a flush or the other flush or possibly a straight draw 
uh, something like that. So I decide to go all in and the original Razor, the under the gun player calls and the small blind folds and we end up winning a massive pot with two pair. Our opponent had the ace of hearts, nine of hearts. So I'm pretty happy that we didn't make a flush and very happy to have gotten value for my hand. And sure enough, he bought right, right back in for another 11 bucks and stayed at our table and just kept on playing along. So we're pretty happy with that outcome. I think that the lesson in this hand is if you have a player that you just really, really do, don't want to bluff because you've just noticed that his style is incredibly loose or just over the top, I don't care, let me call, I keep you honest. Now, anytime you're up against a player like that, the, the less inclined you are to bluff a certain player, logically, it makes sense that you should be equally inclined to value bet relentlessly against those players. And I mean big bets in spots where you might otherwise be afraid because you just have a little something. Try to get value for all your hands because that is how you exploit the calling station. You get him to call when he should fold. Once you have this information, this read on one of your opponents, use it. Don't play against him as though he's a regular, run-of-the-mill, reasonable opponent. He's proven he's not, and that's why we have this note on him, and that's why I decided to go for everything because I just didn't think that this player would be able to find a fold with an ace. And he did bet the flop, so it's possible he has an ace. I'm not sure why he checked the turn, but... He did it, and that probably had a lot to do with his decision to bluff catch on the river. Love to hear your thoughts on this hand. My Twitter handle is at Clayton Comic, and I would love to know what you guys think about this one. It is a miracle river to be sure. How many of you would shove, and does the fact that the Brazilian player in the small blind has so many chips dissuade you at all from wanting to go for all the marbles versus under the gun. Let me know what you think at Clayton Comic on Twitter. Now we're going to do one more hand from this tournament, the Boski Special. And by the way, thank you guys for all the loving compliments of last week's episode. My guest was none other than Tournament Poker Edge founder Derek Killingbird Tenbush. And I think the two of us had a pretty lively discussion. And, you know, he always brings a fun hand or two for us to discuss. So go back and listen to that one. But yeah, we feel the love on Twitter, and uh, if you haven't heard that episode yet, you do want to go listen to it, especially towards the end. Something is revealed that some of you might be interested in. But I want to quickly do another hand here in our strategy segment uh, from this same tournament, the Boski Special. Uh, in this hand, the blinds are 75-150 with an 18 ante. You know what? Why not 18? Let's just do 18 for the ante. Uh, Hero has 11,000. The average stack at this point is about 6,200. Uh, I cover everybody at my table. Uh, the big blind, though, does have 10,000, so he's up there as well. Remember, we start this tournament with 5K in chips. A few others have around 885, whatever. Uh, and also notable is the big blind in, the, in this hand, who is a, a nitty, very tight player, He's running 9-7. He's all the way down to 950 or six big blinds. 
which you might think he's very likely to get his stack in. But when they run 9-7 like that, I, I think they might still be waiting for the nuts. So uh, I'm not too concerned about him. Anyway, the action folds around to the hijack, who is a very loose, very passive calling station type of uh, you know, kind of random player pre-flop, like he just wants to see the flop, kind of clicking buttons, like no rhyme or reason to some of the plays that I've seen him make post-flop. So that's your first player to enter the pot, and he decides to come in for a limp of 150 with 8,500 behind. So yeah, he just calls. And then the cutoff is another loose passive fellow. Did I mention this tournament is a good value? Yeah, so he's a loose passive kind of guy. And he also limps in, and he's got about 6K behind. He's not as bad as the first player as far as his tendency to apply logic to poker decisions, but he's not exactly a a champion in my view. And so I'm on the button holding the queen of spades, 10 of spades. Now, we are obviously going to play this hand, right, guys? I mean, I I think most of you are thinking, of course, Clayton, we're going to limp in here, see a flop against these guys. But I actually decided to raise it up to 800. And I want to talk about why. When you're in a tournament and you have players on your right who are extremely loose, they're seeing 60, 70, 80% of the hands. And they also have a tendency to play like a wild and unpredictable style after the flop. You want to build pots, especially in position here. We're on the button uh, with hands that you might otherwise limp in. Like, I'm not trying to isolate. I don't expect anybody to fold. Well, anybody on my right, anyway. But yeah, I'm trying to build the pot. I want to play a pot in position. I believe that I will make better post-flop decisions than both of these guys. And so I would rather the pot be bigger so that their mistakes can be bigger mistakes. So I decide to make it 800 here. I'm never really expecting to take it down. Somebody is going to play this pot with me. But I think Queen 10 suited flops well enough that I ought to be able to do just fine. Now, I wouldn't have made this play if my opponents were tougher, uh, if, if that limp were not so clearly just, I want to see yet another flop from a player that sees most flops. So that's why I decided to raise here. The small blind decides to fold and the big blind Calls with 9,200 behind. I misspoke a moment ago, guys. Let me correct myself here. I apologize. I said that the big blind had six bigs, but no, that was the small blind who is now folded as he does quite a bit. And now the big blind, who's actually um, a reg that I recognize, I've played a lot of other tournaments on the site with. He's a decent, but not very good, but decent player uh, with 9,200 behind uh, decides to call. The first limper calls, and now the loose passive player that was in between throws his hand away, despite getting an unbelievably attractive price. I mean, literally, by the time we got to that point, he should be calling with every single hand that he should have been limping with in the first place. So a really terrible fold by him, no matter what he had. And now we are going to see a flop three-handed, and with 2,700 in the pot, the flop comes queen of diamonds, deuce of diamonds, deuce of clubs. So queen, deuce, deuce, and we have the queen 10 of spades. There are no spades on the flop. 
and everyone checks to me. Should I bet or should I maybe get a little tricky here against these guys and check behind with my two pair queens and deuces with my 10 kicker? Uh, I decided to go ahead and fire. Uh, I went really small here. I just put out 675 into the 2700 pot. Now, let's keep in mind the SPR in this hand is around three. Uh, the original limper has about 76, 7700 behind. Of course, the big blind with 9200 behind. So uh, we have we have stacks here between three and four stack to pot ratio. Now, notice, guys, that had I limped, this SPR would be much higher and a little tougher to play with an SPR of five or six, especially against spewy and unpredictable opponents. So that may actually be another reason why you want to raise with these kinds of suited Broadway hands, at least some of the time against players like him. So they checked to me. I fire 675 into 2700 and the big blind folds, but the original limper check raises me to 1350 and the actions on us. Now, real quick, I want to talk about liquiddeath.com. This is the website where you can find out more about my favorite brand of water. If you've ever been to a Whole Foods or a 7-Eleven, you might have seen this metal can that looks like some kind of badass beer or perhaps an energy drink. It's like It looks like tattoo art or motorcycle stuff. It's like real tough guy stuff, right? But liquid death is actually nothing inside that can except for pure mountain spring water direct from the source. And just instead of plastic bottles, we're using these cool metal cans. I love this company. I love calling pure spring water liquid death. It's a great sense of humor. I really enjoy that. Uh, and I like what they're doing for the environment. Most importantly, plastic bottles, you can call them recyclable all you want, guys. But the fact remains that no one is making money running a plastic bottle recycling operation. And because of that, more than 90% of all the plastic bottles in America that go into our recycling bins actually end up in the landfill just because where there's no profit, no one's doing it. Aluminum's another story. This aluminum can filled with water is 100% infinitely recyclable. And there are lots of companies, even some publicly traded companies, that are in the business of recycling aluminum for profit. So we need to get away from plastic bottles. I can remember years ago at the WSOP even, Justin Bonomo tweeting something out about, you know, it, before you ask the waiter to give you two tiny bottles of water that you're probably going to throw in the trash later, why not just use the water coolers that are all over the Rio to fill up your one bottle? which is hopefully not made of plastic in the first place. And yet you still see like literally tens of thousands of bottles being used. As a nation, right now we're addicted to plastic and we need to stop that. And Liquid Death is my kind of company. They got attitude, they've got a great sense of humor, and they're doing something good for the planet. They are on the cutting edge of the aluminum revolution. And right now you can get free shipping on their awesome swag. And on any order of at least two cases of their delicious, pure mountain spring water, visit liquiddeath.com. Let's get back to the hand just to review. Uh, two limps in late position, and we raised it up with the queen ten of spades and got 
two callers, including the big blind and the first limper. The second limper had inexplicably folded. And then the flop came queen, deuce, deuce with two diamonds. And both of our opponents checked to me holding the queen, 10 of spades. I bet 675 into 2700 and the big blind folded. But then the first limper decided to check raise it to 1350 just a min just a click back and i have a decision to make now okay could he have a deuce yes he could certainly have a deuce he could have limped in with ace deuce even offsuit and called this raise this is just the kind of player we're looking at here he might even have a hand like tray deuce or four deuce a suited um possibly i'm not sure but Maybe those hands would have folded to the raise. I'm not sure if they would have limped it in the first place. But of the hands I had on this player, he was running very loose and very passive pre-flop and then really aggressive post-flop. So with that in mind, I decided I can't fold, at least not now, to this player's aggression. So I decided to call. And now with 5,400 in the pot, the turn comes the 10 of hearts. So our board is queen, deuce, deuce, 10 with just the original front door diamonds. Uh, all right. So yeah, we have two pair and our hand has improved, but the limper shoves 6,500 into the 5,400 pot. And now this is kind of a, a tough decision. What is he doing this with really? I mean, uh, does he have a deuce? Uh, could he possibly have an over pair? Well, I think that's extremely unlikely, right? He would have had to limp in with pocket aces and then another guy limps and then I raise and then the big blind calls and then he just called with aces, kings, queens, jacks, tens. I don't I don't think so. I think that those hands probably don't limp in in the first place, but if they do and then all this good stuff happens behind them, that's when they drop the hammer uh, and, and they they really should. I mean, you shouldn't be slow playing your big pairs from out of position after three other players show a good deal of strength. So yeah, I, I can't give him credit for any of those hands. It's really a deuce or a bluff. Uh, it could be a hand like King Queen, but it seems like he should have slowed down at least a little bit after I called his check raise on the flop, but I can beat King Queen right now. So I'm, I'm hoping that's what it is. Anyway, uh, I don't think I can fold to this guy and I make the call and win this huge pot with queen 10 against ace nine offsuit. He had no diamonds in his hand, so he didn't have any backdoor missed anything. Like I just, I really, I cannot for the life of me fathom playing ace nine this way. But when you play in a small stakes, large field tournament with a lot of fun players, you need to understand that they don't view the game in the same way that we do. Bluffing is fun, and he just decided that he was going to check-raise the flop and then shove the turn no matter what. And I'm really glad I didn't fold my queen-10. So I went on to final table this tournament. Actually got, I think it was, fifth place for about $450, something like that. Uh, yeah, not bad for a $10 buy-in, so I'll take it. I did not re-enter at any point. Uh, things went well in the beginning. They went well in the middle, and they went pretty well at the end, too. So uh, that was fun. It's always nice to make a final table, although 
I have to say, making a final table online doesn't feel anywhere near as good as making a final table live, which I hope to be doing next month in Las Vegas for the World Series of Poker. What about you? Does this mask mandate being lifted uh, change anything for you? You want to go ahead and get vaccinated and come out and play poker with us? I want to know, where are your heads? I know the Twitter sphere has been going crazy with all the daily updates about this year's WSOP, but I want to know what our listeners think. Thanks again to our sponsor, Liquid Death, and for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I want to hold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Love it, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun Oh, what?